The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason. Sue Kalinske is once again off today. I promise you, she is definitely coming back. In the meantime, after his debut on the Culture Pop Podcast, which met with great acclaim, AK, Andy Kamenetsky's here. Andy, how you doing, man? Good. I'm glad to hear the Yelp reviews were all positive. For Very for positive reviews, nice. exactly. I've uh, got a great guest coming up, Robert Wisdom, who is one of the stars of Barry, which is having just a great season, a great farewell season. In the meantime, we talked about this earlier this week, I think when we were on the radio, but uh, Succession is another show that is having an amazing final season. And I thought one of the most underrated characters on succession and i want to give him a shout out i actually pulled one of his lines and everything is carl now carl <laughs> is played by and do you know how to say his last name is it Raish? is it it's r-a-s-c-h-e i don't know i just i just really remember him as the guy from sledgehammer yeah, <laughs> that guy. And uh, over decades, I never learned how to say his last name. Yeah, I feel like I should know it because he's in everything. But uh, mm-hmm. apologies to, I hope we get him on the show, David. We'll find out <laughs> well, for sure yes. his name <laughs> if we do have him on. <laughs> so I love this line to Tom. This, I think, was episode four. He said to Tom, you're a clumsy interloper and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead. And now you're just married to the ex-boss's daughter, and she doesn't even like you. And you are fair and squarely fucked. That is vintage Carl. (laughs) Well, you know, he spent a couple decades, you know, as, I guess, the right-hand man or something close to that to Logan Roy. And if nothing else, you're going to learn in that job how to dress somebody down. Yes. And And I mean, dress them down naked and then remove their skin. (laughs) <laughs> he did it with Kendall in episode. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find that speech, but he did the same thing with Kendall in episode five before Kendall started talking to a big version of his dad, which is super creepy. It was like all Natalie Cole, Nat King Cole, uh, unforgettable kind mm-hmm. of thing. But for me, I actually think living plus it, we talked about it is, is a great concept. Like it, I think it makes sense. It's a great awful concept it's like it's one of those things that is horrifying when you consider the people that will be running it and knowing just how little they actually care about people period yeah right and and like that they will we've seen what happens uh when they are in charge of people on their cruise ships oh yeah and how little they go well no, no. So now you're going to be trusting them to, uh, you know, shepherd the elderly through their last years. But as a business venture, and I got to say, Kendall managed to sell it. And the it, the back and forth between him and the late Logan 
he took a swing and it worked presentationally. It worked. Yeah, it absolutely did. And uh, I was going to say my mom and not stepdad Leo for a while lived in what they call a Dell web community. Um, and I don't know if that's named after a person named Dell Webb or if that's like a last name or whatever it is, but it basically is living plus it's, you know, this community of X number of houses and they've got a, a clubhouse and they've got a pool and, you know, they got sauna and steam and all that stuff. And there's a golf course and there's pickleball courts and there's bocce ball and there's all this stuff. Basically that's living plus. Okay. I just looked this up really quickly. Del Webb was a real estate developer and at one time a co-owner of the Yankees. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a real person. He is a real person. It's a real concept. And I think mm -hmm. Living Plus is actually the same concept. Doesn't yeah. it sound like it? Yeah, pretty much. It's just, it's another example of the Waystar reach. You know, it's media, it's movies, it's theme parks, it's cruise ships, and now it's, you know, homes for the aged. Yes. And, and they will, they will not stop until they basically are like big everything. So I've got, uh, I've got a hot take. You ready? This is a hot take. I actually felt a little bit of sympathy for the Roy kids this last week. Let me explain. Cause they're horrible people, right? <laughs> But I love when Roman says, can we do the huggy thing? Mm -hmm. Because it really does speak to how little love they got when they were growing up, how emotionally broken they are. I, like, I felt a little sympathy for them. They, they, the huggy thing. Yeah. Well, we've seen that a few times. Like, remember on, on the boat before they were deciding who was going to go to prison and Roman got back from, you know, basically being semi-kidnapped and they were trying to be sincere with each other and they ended up doing like in funny squeaky voices. Like th they're incapable of being vulnerable because the way they've been raised, you know, does not allow for something like that. Like I, I've said this before. One of the things I think is so brilliant about the way these characters have all been conceived in the writing, all four Roy kids, I think could make the case that they are the black sheep of the family. Hmm. And, and I think I think all four consider themselves the black sheep of the family. And I think all of them have a case for it. And it just speaks to how destroyed they are. And, and they, they want to trust each other. They want to, I think, actually have these relationships, but they can't. They're no, they're incapable of it because they've they've seen no evidence of it in their own lives. So no. there's a big debate. Guy Workwith says that since Logan died, the show isn't as good. Now, Logan, you know, was the primary central character of the show. Do you think it's lost something without Logan in these last few episodes? I mean, I think it's lost something. I don't know if it necessarily makes it worse, but it's impossible for the show to be the same without the presence of Logan Roy and without Brian Cox's presence. Yeah. But I do think that it's interesting to see these children finally have to navigate a world without Logan Roy because Logan Roy, for all the problems that he caused his children and the damage that he's done to them that can't possibly be undone, he also prevented them from really ever having to 
like take control of their own lives and make right. their own decisions and things like that. You know, Shiv has tried it a little bit going a different route into politics or whatever, but none of them have ever had to actually handle things on their own. And it is interesting to see them in this place where they're calling the shots, even with like the specter of their father looming over them. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think it's somewhere the show needed to go. Yeah. Um, well, it is, uh, it, it continues to be the most fascinating show on TV. And now you got HBO's got it going on because they get succession. Then they got Barry coming on right afterwards. Um, and uh, our guest today is an actor who is one of the stars of Barry. He's probably best known for his role as Howard Bunny Colvin in the landmark series, The Wire. Also um, on HBO. Also on HBO, exactly. He's also starred in shows like Prison Break and Supernatural and Burn Notice and Nashville and on and on. Robert Wisdom joins us. Robert, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, man, it's great to be here this morning with you. Thank you. So I want to ask you about Barry, which is one of the best shows on TV right now. But first, I want to talk about one of the five greatest TV series of all time, uh, which is The Wire. If you ask anybody, greatest shows of all time, The Wire is always, always on that list. Um, and, you know, actors always say it's it's on the page. And David Simon is a genius. He was able to find the humanity in every one of these characters. Uh, we understood who those guys were, whether they were good good guys or bad guys or somewhere in between. Most were somewhere in between. Uh, you know, what, what, when you read the script, did you find David Simon was, was so good at? I tell you, it was, you put your finger on it. The wire, every single comma was written, every break, every slang, there was no improv. And, and so he was so in tune with the music and the, the psyche of somebody living in Baltimore, just what pressures they were under. And he could articulate that through these characters. That's why there were so many characters on the corner of the block, because there are so many types of kids who just migrate there and find themselves. And David was able to bring that out. Then in City Hall, he populated with all these different characters and mayors and all of these guys who, who, who really got to the nuance of why this city was messed up. Um, then he went to the police department. He did the same. So, and then went, and the docs, which I think the second season was brilliant. That is yeah. underrated. Um, that season was just brilliant. Uh, the, the family, Sabaka's family and, and all those guys on the docks and the Greeks, uh, you know, so it's, it just mapped a man. And, and I have to say, Ed Burns, David Simon and Ed Burns mm -hmm. and George Pelicanos later, they all, uh, I mean, Dennis Lehane, you know, Richard Price. I mean, it was, it was a deep, deep, deep writing room. And those guys managed to tell the story of our time. I mean, you can look at whether it's Camden, New Jersey or Oakland, California. You can look at uh, this as a, as a blueprint for what American cities are becoming. And yeah, um, yeah that's, that's, uh, so when we saw, when I saw Bunny in that, and that's the brilliance of, of the casting, um, it wasn't about a star. It wasn't about somebody who was going to run the show. Even though Dominic was pretty much, in the beginning, the lead character that the story was told through. But later on, man, everybody emerged. And, and you were just, you, were, you could get lost in the stories. I've seen over the years, 
when the wire was still out, nobody, we were on the bubble every year. Um, and then generation after generation, I see kids coming up to me now and they still get it. So, um, they just, the lightning struck, you know, they hit it. You know, one of my all time favorite scenes in the wire, like I'll pull it up on YouTube sometimes and, and watch it is when your character, Bunny visits Weebay in prison and you ask uh, for his blessing to remove his son name on from the drug game and that he's got the potential to do something better. And like, it's not just that he could do something better, but he's not built for the game. And yeah. like, as his father, Weebay has a moral obligation to remove him from this and beyond it. It's just extremely well-written, well-acted. It reflects why I like Bunny and Bubbles and Cuddy were some of my favorite characters because they represented some degree of hope. And I was mm. wondering just how conscious of you were, were you of providing like that balance and how important you think it was for the show to have characters like that. So it could be like, you know, 90% bleak as opposed to say, hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It, it's, you know, the, the interesting thing about, uh, the way the show was run, we only got the scripts, uh, one week before we never knew where our character was going. So we were the, the, the moral dilemmas, the, the stuff on layer five was the stuff that we just had to intuit. Um, we didn't get a chance to like do all the preparation and practice it. We just had to, in fact, that scene was written overnight. We had one night to learn that. Oh, uh, wow. David gave us that script. Um, he just thought of it, and we got that script on a Wednesday, and we shot on a Thursday. Um, and we just had to, like, I had to just get the words down. You know? <laughs> so, so there was no chance of, like, figuring it out. But, um, but that's where the, the, the characters were so well-established we all knew each other even if we hadn't worked together that was my first time working with hassan but i knew Weebay, you know and i and i knew his son and he knew the way it was written as you recall i'm sure is is uh we first start to recollect our yeah. days on the corner you mm -hmm. know and um how we used to run how we were the same opposite sides of the same coin you know and and there's a line that's written where we both voice together the the mm -hmm. uh the you know and it's just those subtle things um you know we got it on maybe two or three takes and um and then that's when you know you just left it alone and you know thanks for bringing it up because it was it it's kind of lived on for the ages you know that and my favorite is of course the, the paper bag speech you know which which uh, richard price wrote and phew, when Another I saw great that, writer to have on yeah. board. Oh my God. Yes. Can you imagine Richard Price? Richard Price is one of your writers. I mean, come on, that's good TV. So Bunny is fascinating too, because he is, I, I, you know, he was ahead of his time in that, you know, he cared about, obviously there was Amsterdam, but, but there was also, he believed in community policing and that's something we talk about to this day, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, to walk down your streets and see them abandoned, no flower beds, no, no, no kind of life, no joy in the neighborhood, just broken bottles, syringes, you know, and, and then old ladies who are barricaded in the houses and can't come out. Um, and, and then he goes into the, to, uh, uh, the command meetings and these guys are just dealing with the community as an abstract you know, a mm -hmm. bunch of numbers, 
you know, and just laying them out on a big board and saying, let's get from this A to B, forget Z. We're just going A to B every week and, um, and covering it up, just make the numbers work. And that's where Bunny, after 29 years was like, this is what I spent my life doing. You know, yeah. this is, you know, that day when he goes out and he ride, does a ride around and he's not wearing his hat. And, uh, this kid comes up to like off, make a deal with him. And it's like, dude, I mean, are you that? And that's what, it, that, you know, it was just a perfect storm of this world is on the edge of total collapse. He, I think Bonnie also really demonstrates like just how hard it is to be a good cop. Because yeah. he, you know, he wants to make a difference, but he ends up having to break the law to try to make that difference. And you see the internal politics negatively affecting him. You also see that he does deal with some very genuinely dangerous people up to bad things. And you also see how a lack of thoughtful cops lead to the cycle that creates an environment that right. leads to people continually doing bad things. So it's like, I think he encapsulate, encapsulates how there's a genuine need for police reform in this country, but it's also a really hard job. It's an impossible job because it's bound in by so many restrictions and lack of will. Reform only works if you have a vision and a will. And we just don't. We have guys who are jobbers, you know, they're going in, they want to get, got to get that pension, man. You got to get that pension. And as long as that, it's, it's almost like the presidency, you got four years to run a country and only two of them are effective, you know, because you mm -hmm. got to start raising money to, you know, and yeah. we're, we're bound by restrictions. And that's what, da that's what David showed up in that stuff. And the police are bound by politics too. And they're, oh my God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. You know how I know the wire is really good because uh, uh, however many years ago later, we still recall it this much and we still had this conversation about it. I know. I mean, that's, that's just, that does not happen with, with TV shows. I, you know what? I'm, I'm just, I'm tickled right now because I haven't talked, I haven't seen the show since, uh, I watched it maybe once since it came on and that was like eight, nine years ago. And here we are talking about it with and recalling the same stuff and bouncing it around. It's alive, you yeah, know. It is. And, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm proud to be part of it, really. So is. let me jump to you co starred in a very underrated movie called Motherless Brooklyn. Oh, God. Uh, you were uh, working with first time director Edward Norton, who also starred in the movie. So that's a lot of pressure. What? Right. Tell me about that movie. What, what makes Edward Norton uh, a really, really great director? Edward Norton is brilliant, first off, and he was he's brilliant and he's also passionate and he held this book. He wanted to do this book forever. He called the people that he wanted to be in it because those are people he wanted. So when I got this call out the blue to be part of, me, he says, look, it's not, you know, what I would want to offer you, but I have this thing. And when I saw it, I was and we got on set. Uh, the clarity as an actor and as a real filmmaker, the clarity that he brought with it uh, just made it easy to do. Um, oh, I, I thought Baldwin was brilliant in that movie. And, and uh, I, you know, I don't care what, whatever you want to say about Baldwin, but he's, man, that cat is big. <laughs> he's a bad boy, you know, and he brought that to life. Edward, that character, to direct 
that complicated character on both sides of the camera. And the funny thing was, uh, the club that we shot in, uh, the last night we shot there caught fire and burned down. And, we, mm. and, and everybody had to run out. So there was all that kind of crazy movie magic happening, you know. Um, and it was a great chance to work with Michael K. Williams, who who was in there playing the Miles character. And yeah, uh, yeah he just, Edward is brilliant. And, and you know, he's a ball of fire. You, you mentioned the, the complications of Norton directing himself in a role that challenging. And on Barry, Bill Hader is directing Ooh. a lot of episodes with, you know, to put it mildly, a twisted character. Oh, um, yeah. Do you notice the difference in being directed by a fellow actor versus a director, even like, you know, like a great director? Yeah, interesting question. Um, all right, it, in this, I'll say this. Um, if the director is also the writer, you notice the difference. I don't think anybody else could come in and contribute to uh, at least season four of Barry uh, and make it work. Bill is so clear on what he sees, the style of what he sees, what people are doing. He and I had worked out a way to, it was almost nonverbal to like really get me out of my, my low tics, my low habits and uh, reduce Jim Moss to this thing. He didn't, he wanted him totally inscrutable. No other director would be, would come in with that note, you know? Um, but Bill, Bill was, that worked for him. Uh, it worked how he works with Henry and, and, and Anthony and, and Sarah, Ev Sarah's brilliant. So a girl, very good God almighty boy, that mm. girl is bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so he had the ensemble that he wanted. And so he was, he's like, it's like a picture going back to their, their, you know, back to their fear. He, you know, they know the feel of that, that, you know, being inside that stadium. That's what, that's what it's like to work with Bill. We know what it's like with the feeling. It was also a, a set and a, and a show that he didn't allow any assholes in. That was, that was his hot, that was a big standard. You came in with like your stuff in order, you know, and you came to play and no egos played out. So we, you know, that vision was honored, you know, by all the actors and he could give us any kind of note and we accepted it, you know, and, and, um, and he listened to us as well, if something was out of line. So th that's where the difference is, um, I think is, is the creator. So what's interesting about Barry too, is that it, it starts out, if you go back to season one, it starts out as sort of this fish out of water, hitman goes to acting class, you know, great, especially in this town, really, really funny. But it gets to this place now where last season was really dark. This season is where the evolution of the show is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and, and it goes back to without getting too pretentious, but it goes back to those early, almost Shakespearean conceptions of humor and, and what is funny. It goes down to the absurd of life. And we couldn't, it couldn't get to this dark place unless you really bought into that first year wackiness, you know, of this guy, just this guy in this acting class with this overinflated acting teacher. And, you know, you just had buckets of laugh and they seduced us into years two and seduced us again and then 
who gets to seduce you four times? Yeah. You know, that's a bad lover. You know, that's somebody, who <laughs> <loved her. laughs> you know, and that's what, that's what he did. And that, that's what he's doing in this for, uh, maybe people have seen, uh, episode four at this point. Maybe yes. I hope so. Yeah. Um, man, when you see Anthony and, and crystal ball, mm -hmm. uh, that broke my heart, mm. you know, to see what they were, especially going from the sand pit, you yes. know, which was the horror, the horror of the sand pit. And that go to black where Bill kept us in black for like four or five beats longer that it would so that your claustrophobia came up. And then you see, hear Anthony's voice muffled. That's just, you know, that's daring stuff, you yeah. know, and, and eight, you know, again, goodness to HBO for giving Bill leeway to do this kind of shooting because imagine barry on network tv you know <laughs> you would get Come over on. over, over <laughs> you know? no, you gotta, yeah you get dig what i'm saying so it's like this is we're looking at some real genius and there's more in store um yeah there's more in store it's directed almost like and bill is directing all the episodes this year it's directed like an independent film or it's got that vince gilligan feeling to it where it's it is very it's it's very filmic you know yeah 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 i mean those those big wide shots you know and we saw some of it in season three when he would go out to his safe point you know and that near the beach and you know near the water and he would have these sort of really atmospheric shots with these spirits walking by all the people we killed and all that kind of, and you don't get to see that kind of, that kind of reflection without words, you know? Um, and, and then he's carrying this over. Now he's, he will emerge from this year as one of our really seriously promising filmmakers, you know? Um, it's like Jordan Peele was part of a comedy group in the beginning. And now he's like a major storyteller. I think Bill is going to be right in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain degree of like darkness and pathos that I think is required to do comedy well, like to oh, really under to really understand. You know, like Robin Williams was yeah, like that for a while, comedic exactly. genius, but he had stuff he could dig into. He, speaking of digging into stuff and motivations, your character Jim Moss is scary because, <laughs> unlike you know, these these other characters all have dark motivations, most of them at least, right. but unlike most of them. Jim Moss has his proverbial stuff together well enough to actually cover his tracks while acting on them, which I think <laughs> makes him doubly frightening. Yeah. It's, I mean, he was, here's a guy who was trained by some like super, super high level intelligence. So he got all the tools plus he had the talent and now he has like the biggest motivation in life. Who killed my daughter? Mm -hmm. and and um and we saw the bare bones of it in that scene with henry winkler um do you love my daughter do you love your daughter my daughter like i love my daughter do you love my daughter i mean and that question just really ripped layers off of kusino just ripped layers until <laughs> when we were shooting that there was the take that we went with henry was just in tears hmm. and we both just kind of stayed in the pocket with it didn't mess it up and we got to the finish and we just sat there the whole set the cast and crew we sat there literally in silence for like 30 seconds and and then the the crew broke out in applause 
and we could just get up and leave. We knew that was it. Hmm. Um, that's, that's the kind of writing that Bill is coming up with. And that's what is happening in Barry. We're getting strip layers stripped off every episode, every year. So we're going to a place of our own darkness. It's kind of like um, the reason why I said the horror, the horror, because it's kind of like apocalypse now. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 when you have you know this this guy who's been up river for ages and he has no connection with you know civilization, and has created this bubble. And this is what we see with Barry Berkman. He's like in this extreme bubble of his own making and his own conflicts. And then everybody else is in the the bubble of their conflicts, you know? And so Jim Moss is in one that comes from, quote, unquote, an honorable place. Um, And so his talents are just a means, but uh, the end is really justice. Yeah, I want to go back and ask you about one other show. And then I want to ask you about the Lakers, because you're a Lakers fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. So uh, last year, you had a show called Blackbird. Which yeah. is another, I mean, people, I, it got acclaim and Paul Walter Hauser and Taron Edgerton and those guys, Apple Plus. Um, so many shows come and go, uh, especially in the streaming age. When you work on one like Blackbird, which is, again, Dennis Lehane, the amazing Dennis Lehane. Yeah. Uh, do you have a sense you're going to work for working on something that's, that's going to get that acclaim, that people are going to get it the way everybody did? Well, one, I knew Dennis Lane was bringing it. So I just, I wanted to be, I wanted to be there. And I knew Alexa Fogel was casting and Alexa is one of the great casting directors. So I know she was assembling something special. Then the first day, uh, it was shot during COVID. The first day of a funeral, we were on Zoom. And uh, so there are like 30 people, you know, on like different pages of Zoom. And so we start the reading. And then Paul Walter Hauser, I hear this voice in this character, but I don't know where it's coming from. And I'm leafing through all the pages to find this guy. He, it was bone chilling when he went into that voice. And, and, and I was like, that's when I knew I said, this is going to be something. And then again, Taryn and I had already, you know, met and worked together. So I knew what he was bringing. And the two of them started going, we got to the pages where they started to go to town. It was breathtaking. It, it, I just knew that this was going to be a, a great show. Then when the costume designer came in was, and, and she put us, she put everybody in the right kind of stuff. I just knew this is like when the great 19th century operas were being written in Italy and all the greatest, you know, uh, artisans would come together to work on these operas. That's what this production was like. All the greatest were coming in to be part of it. And um, it was operatic, and boom! I think that I think it's going to live on again forever. Uh, everybody talks about that six-episode show like it's they they remember everything, and that's Dennis Lehane. That's Dennis Lehane. Um, okay, so you're a Lakers fan? Yeah, man. Um, how far back do you go with the Lakers? Well, let me put it like this: um, I grew up with Earl De Pearl. I grew up with, you know, in Baltimore, D.C. area. So I grew up with West Sansella and all those guys. Then I went to school in New York. And I was in New York when when uh, the Knicks were, were great. When Willis Reed did his thing and all that. So I'm an older, I'm on the older end of it. Um, but I've loved this team. Well, you know, I love this team for the last, 
I've been here 30 years. So it's about 30 years now. So I've seen Kobe. I've seen the high points. I've seen the low points. I've seen all of that. I really admire what this team is doing this year. I mean, to come from out of the money, you know, and to make this dash. I mean, we won a lot of games. I think we lost like four games in this stretch. Yeah, I won you know? 14 of 18, yeah. Good God, man. That's tough business in this league. And we had some really bad games and some badly called games, but they kept their head. And, and I see right now what watching Bando on, on, um, on Steph told me everything. Told me that this team had, was focused where, the, where he did, because Steph runs, what, six miles a night, some light on the court? Yeah. And, and, and Vandal was with him and in his face. And, um, and to defend and to get Reeves dialed in to defend on Clay the way they did so that Anthony can do his thing. LeBron, to me, is doing... See, people say he's, he has a different role. I say he's now truly the general. He's on the floor and he's telling these young guys where to be because he knows what, what the coaches are calling. He knows what Steve Kerr is doing. He knows how they play. And he's moving guys around. So it's that chess match. I'm loving this, you know. Uh, I just hope we win. But I also, I also just love um, that this team is equal with and unpredictable how, they, how far they can go. And, you know, I'll take them one at a time. I don't want to get ahead of it. But... Uh, this game tonight is going to be is going to be telling. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think the 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 Warriors can stay with the uh, stay with the size of the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, um, but Looney's a Looney's a dog, you know. And all they can hope to do is bait because uh, you know what's his name has not learned a thing. Just bait him again, get him thrown out the game. Then we then we're good. Set, Draymond. You know? Yeah. I hate to say his name, Draymond. <laughs> First of all, you know that this is real, Robert, because you've used the phrase "we" talking about the yeah, team, like multiple, right. multiple times. That's the sign of it actually being real. You, you were talking about LeBron now settling into this role as like you know the general. An amazing stat about him that I did not know that I learned yesterday when when Joel Embiid was announced as MVP. It was the first time in 20 years that LeBron had not received at least one vote, like even a fifth place vote for MVP. Right. Right. And like, I'm not bringing that up to argue it. Like it doesn't really matter. That is staggering though, to go to it, to take 20 seasons to not be represented in any way for MVP, right. like 19 straight. That, yeah. That's astonishing. You know, we've over the years, you know, and it started in baseball and now we're, we're numbers driven, mm -hmm. but the intangibles, the things that nobody can actually track and quantify, that's the stuff that makes the great teams. Everything else is like great to track players and what they do and the tendency. But man, when you get out there and you have guys whispering each other's ears, you know, and that's a, that's the stuff that makes a play work or not break or how to break down a defense, how to break down a defense. That's what LeBron is doing. How he gets these lanes open, you know, and how he gets his guys in positions. Now, yeah, I hope he comes to his realization that his three ball ain't working. You know, yeah, yeah. I tried to tell <laughs> yeah. him on our show. I've done my best. <laughs> you know, it's that's that's really that's painful. That's painful. But you know, look, he's willing to work forty minutes a night. 
Anthony is willing to go whatever it takes. Um, if, if we get to do that, those are intangibles that are going to make the difference. Um, and I think that we, you know, I mean, if we're tired, you know, GS is tired too. Yeah. So, you know, I ain't gonna worry about that. Steph ain't no spring chicken, you know? So we'll see. We're going to see. Well, listen, um, go Lakers. <laughs> go Lakers. <laughs> and uh, congratulations on, on Barry. It's fantastic and can't wait to see where it uh, where it ends up. Robert, thank you so much for doing this, man. We appreciate hey, thanks, it. Thanks, Mace. Man, thanks, Mace. Uh, and I'll be listening to you on the radio, you know, so thanks for everything. Thanks will, for serving the city. Sure, I will be there, man. Thanks. That guy is a Lakers fan. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is is down in it, which I love. And, you know, the guests I love are the ones that come on and say, I listen to you all the time on the radio. Those are my favorite guests. Mm -hmm. Because then it's all, everybody's warmed up and everybody knows who... uh, who who the uh, the other guy is and it, it's actually really cool and 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 also the show becomes you know three percent more about you correct <laughs> which is, it's, it's which a is what you like more about me which I, yeah. I like I like mm-hmm. we took a call on the show yesterday somebody said you guys are the greatest show and I I sit and uh, I pick up my daughter every day at work and I go there or at school and I go there early and I listen to the radio a little bit so I can be and I then he went into a big Lakers breakdown and I immediately said let's go back to your first point <laughs> one one about listening all the time blah 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 lakers get back yes. to mason yeah exactly so uh yeah uh, and barry I, I i mean i would put money on he dies i don't know but i don't know this show ha- you know we talked about it with robert it has taken so many unexpected turns yeah, and, and like unpredictable turns. I, I genuinely have no idea what's happening. I actually caught up uh, before talking with Robert. I thought I was further behind than I was, so it didn't take that long to get myself there. It's so great. I mean, you you could go on talking about it. Like Noho Hank is one of my favorite oh, recent yeah. characters. So good in any show, and he's he's really becoming um, a dark man. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the Sunday night. And I want to say, just off the top of my head, May the 28th, I think, is the finale for both Succession and Barry. Yeah, good night for HBO. That's a, that's a good night for HBO, absolutely. Hey, Andy, thanks for doing this again, man. We appreciate it. Anytime, man, anytime. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or you can use stevemason.com to get to either of those things. Leave us a rating and a review. Sue's coming back, I promise. We'll see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Culture Pop Podcast.